everyone. Welcome to our Sunday stream. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. Uh, we celebrate you today. We honor you today. Uh, Pastor Lisa is here with me, and uh, apparently I'm going to be doing a Father's Day quiz, although I am like not necessarily like qualified. Okay, well, we'll both do it because oh, okay. I have okay. the answer or the questions, but not the answers. Okay, sweet. And we want you to play along. Yeah, so send us your answers of what you think it is in the comments below. Um, because I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I'm going to know, so here we go. Yeah, we were looking at trivia and found out that roses are the official flower for Father's Day. Like, who knew? Who and knew? also, that just doesn't seem like a very manly flower. But like, what would like what would be a manly flower? Something with thistles. Yeah. Like, you know those, I, it's purple, but you know those ones that grow on the side of the road and they look spiky? No? no. Okay. Well. <laughs> Clearly I'm not a florist. I don't know. I am not either. Okay. So most people think of Father's Day as an American thing, Canadian in our context, but it actually dates back to the Middle Ages. Who okay. first celebrated Father's Day? One, the Ming Dynasty. Two, the Romans. Three, Catholic Europeans. Or four, the Swedish. Those are, those are like, we're literally like crossing <laughs> the globe with these answers. Yeah, we are. Um, like just, I think it would be the Romans. Okay. But only because like, par like parenthood and patriarchy was important then, but I don't know. What do you think? I have no idea. I'm just trying to think if there's like, like old God symbolism to right. it and so maybe like let's try i don't know you're right oh yes. it was right there's no explanation we don't know why but <laughs> you can google it okay in germany father's day is known as what men's day daddy hour papa week or uncle month um, so we can rule out uncle month yeah i'm gonna say that that's the one you want oh no no, okay. no i'm saying we can like definitely get rid of that <laughs> men's one. day daddy hour or papa week um i would say men's day like, do they get a whole week? I don't know, but there's an International Women's Day. That's true. So let's go with it. We're right. Okay. Oh, we're crushing this. That's we're very bad. good. Which of these is not a real day? Father's Day, Pancake Day, World Penguin Day, or International Screaming Pineapple Day? I hope it's the last one. I really hope it's the last one too, but I feel like it's going to be a very, like, boring one like Pancake Day. Um, but let's let's go with International Screaming Pineapple Day. That is correct. Fair that enough. was obvious. Okay. In 2020, Father's Day is on the same day as International Yoga Day. True or false? Well, someone who has never done yoga. I know this um, one. Really? Yeah. Uh, I would guess true. You are correct. Yes. All of, the only reason I know is because my social media feed today has been very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> like half yoga and half. Fathers. Okay. Father's Day is one of the biggest days of the year for what? Telling bad jokes, farting, arguing about football, or sending greeting cards. Is this like a legitimate day? Like a legitimate question? Yeah. Or is it? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say telling bad jokes. Because dad jokes. Because dad jokes, yeah. Okay, it's telling us that every single one is right, and I don't know Maybe that we're that smart. At the end. Okay. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see guys. In Thailand, what day is Father's Day celebrated on? The mm. Thai Queen's birthday, the last King's birthday, Thai New Year, or the first of every month? I think it's probably the last King's birthday. They were like they revered him. Okay. 
That'd be my guess. Which of these? Oh, that's not. Okay. Oh, that's right. There's no place to submit it. So we got all of our questions correct. Wow. We are pros. Here I thought I wasn't qualified. At Father's Day. So. Amazing. I wonder how you did. I'm seeing a lot of people thinking that the Swedes started Father's Day. So I'm sorry. Kind of starting your Father's Day out on a bad foot. But, but hey, we're learning things today. We're learning so things what today. what a great day to learn things. And hey, dads, we really appreciate you. So happy Father's Day. Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles. And we're going to um, jump into the message. Thanks, Pastor Marcus. Thanks for joining me. Well, this week, Lucas and the kids and I were able to get away and see my parents. And it was a wonderful and very, very weird getaway because it's absent of all the things that we would typically do when we get away on vacation. And part of what has been so difficult for me, at least, about this reopening and the end of this season, waiting for it to happen, is the delayed gratification piece. If you're like me, there is a whole list of things that you can't wait to do again. Eat in a restaurant, see a movie, hug your friends. And I want all of those normal things. And I know that they're coming back, but I want them faster. Can you relate? I love instant gratification. I mean, if we're honest, I think we all do. There's a reason why Amazon Prime is a thing. Delayed gratification, not as much. And as we're going to look into this passage today, the promises of God are firm, but they're not always fast. And we're going to bounce back and forth uh, this morning between Genesis and Hebrews, because I don't think we can really understand all of the fullness of this passage in Hebrews 6 unless we know the roots of it in Genesis. So go ahead and pull out your Bible or your phone or a tablet or whatever um, you're going to be reading along with me. It will also be on the screen here this morning, but turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Well, God, I thank you so much that your promises are sure, that they are yes and amen. And this morning, God, would you um, just encourage our hearts? Would you give us that assurance of what you have called us to? And as you speak through your word this morning, God, would you allow us to have hearts that are open, to be buoyed up, to be fortified and strengthened for whatever season lies ahead? 
And as always, God, would your words only go forth and would my own, would they just float away on the wind because we want to hear you in your precious name. Amen. Well, I love the certainty of this passage, but I also love the pace, patience of this passage. You see, we know that the promises of God are yes and amen. We know that they're a sure and steady thing. But if we're not careful, we can treat God like a genie, immaturely demanding instant gratification of those promises in the name of blessing. But of all of the promises that God makes towards us, of all the blessings that he can bestow, there's one that has just been ticking through time. This promise of redemption, this promise of a redeemer, this promise of a savior, and this promise being extended to the descendants of Abraham. Now, Abraham is given to us as an example here, and I love it because God gives us this example of delayed gratification. Abraham was a man who saw the shadow of the promise, but to which the fulfillment of the promise is still ongoing. And this example is a reminder to us that God never recounts recants on his promises, that his promises are not reliant on our timelines or our abilities or on anything that we have to offer. God's promises rely on him alone to fulfill them. So what is this ultimate promise that we've been given as the example in Hebrews 6? And why is it so key to understanding that passage? To really get it, we have to go backwards. We have to dig into the life of Abraham and the promise that God gave him. So turn with me um, to Genesis chapter 12. You see, we see Abraham for the first time in Genesis 11. This is when we meet him in this genealogy of his family. Um, but we see the first promise of Abraham in Genesis 12. And in verses 1 to 3, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, this is Abraham's old name. God's going to change it in the future. God, from you, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is an amazing promise except for one little problem. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, couldn't have children. So the idea of making Abraham and his wife and their descendants into a great nation when they didn't have any descendants, appears flawed. But Abraham moves through the next years of his life, encountering obstacles and difficulties just like anyone. But he chooses to remain in relationship with God, even though the promise seems as far away as ever. And we fast forward to Genesis 15, and there's so much life in between those two chapters. And God's promise once again comes to Abraham. Abraham rushes into this battle to save his nephew Lot. And after surviving this battle, the promise of God comes back to Abraham in Genesis 15. But I love this in Genesis 15 verse 8. Abraham looks back at God after hearing this promise and says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? I love it because I've been there. Have you? Where 
you look at God and you say, God, I know that you promised it. But honestly, it's just not looking very good right now. God, I know that you promised it, but I just had my life almost end and there's still no sign of this promise coming to pass. God, I know that you've promised it, but how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? And God doesn't throw up his hands in frustration. God does something incredible. God enters into a blood covenant with Abraham right here in Genesis 15. And you can read through the account of it in verses 9 to 21. But I want to explain the significance of this. Because this is so foreign to us. But it would have been something very, very common to Abraham in the culture of that day. You see, to seal a promise, to seal a covenant, to seal an oath, both parties would walk through this path that had been created by cutting animal carcasses in half and putting half on one side, half on the other, literally a blood path. Essentially, they were declaring that should they break this oath, should they break this covenant, let what has been done to these animals be done to them. This is the most intense and sacred of all oaths that someone could enter into. And so Abraham sets it all up as instructed by God in Genesis 15. But then something incredible happens. Abraham doesn't walk the path. We see that after setting it all up as God has instructed him to, God causes a deep slumber to come over Abraham. And he sleeps to the side and God walks the path alone. God in his mercy knew that Abraham and by extension us, his descendants, could never live up to our end of the covenant. We couldn't. We would fail and we would fall and we would falter time and time and time again. And so God walks the path alone. God takes on all of the burden of keeping his promises, saying, if I fail in this, let what has been done to these animals be done to me. He takes that burden. God <laughs> seals the ultimate oath to declare his intention to Abraham and by extension, us. God's promises and the fulfillment of them, friends, they're not anything that we can do. They're not reliant on us. God walked the path alone. But God wasn't finished. Again, we have so many years of life between Genesis 15 and we're going to fast forward to Genesis 22. And at this point now, Abraham and Sarah have welcomed Isaac, this child of promise, the one that was going to be the start of this promise of God giving Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars and the sand on the beach. But God has a test for Abraham, a test of his faith in him, a test of his faith of the promise that God's given him. And so God asks Abraham to climb a mountain and sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar to God. I mean, I want you to just pause for a moment. All of this time, as God's been reiterating this promise, the promises seemed so far away. There was no child, there was no son, there was no descendant. 
And now that he finally has him, God says, would you just bring him and just like kill him on this altar in obedience to me? Like you feel the weight of that moment. And yet with open-handed obedience, Abraham values walking in faithfulness to God over obtaining the promise. Abraham values obedience to God over what logic would say is the next step. And we see that God honors that obedience and he saves Isaac's life and he makes a way. And right there in that moment, God once again reiterates this promise from Genesis 12 and this promise from Genesis 15. And in Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18, he says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is that promise that we have been given as an example in Hebrews 6. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Friends, we are the heirs of what was promised to Abraham. We are counted in that number when we accept Jesus as our atoning sacrifice that we've been talking about through this Hebrews series. We are part of that offspring. We are spiritual descendants of Abraham grafted into this promise so we can have the certainty of God's blessing. We have the certainty of being part of what God's going to do for his eternal purposes on this earth. We have the certainty of and hope of an eternity with Jesus. Not because of anything we can do or anything we can bring or because of our skill sets or giftings or anything else that we like to lump in there, but because God walked the path alone. That's it because we've been grafted into Abraham's tree, because we are part of the ongoing fulfillment of that promise from Genesis 15, that blood covenant to create a family of believers set apart, co-heirs with Christ, because we are those like Abraham who would choose obedience and hope. And so we have this promise, this incredible promise, but we also have the conviction of it. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have the promise, but we also have the conviction. And I love the metaphor that we're given here of an anchor And the like, kind of expanded idea of being a vessel at sea. And most of the commentaries that I read as I was studying for this message expounded upon that idea that 
you know, we like boats are just tossed in the seas of life to and fro. Some days are calm, some days are stormy. And we just kind of go with the drift of the ocean tides. And that certainly lines up with how I felt. And I think it lines up with the teachings of Jesus that life is going to bring storms. But it's also going to bring sunshine. And in the midst of this journey, we have this hope when we feel like we're being tossed with no end in sight. When we feel like we're adrift and lost at sea, we have the hope of the promise. And when the storms come, we cling to the anchor, Jesus, and the promise that we have of both his presence in our life now as well as in eternity, that hope that we have of heaven with him. Matthew Henry writes, heaven is the harbor to which we sail. It, our anchor, does not seek to fasten in the sands, but enters within the veil and fixes there upon Christ. He is the object. He is the anchor. Hold of the believer's hope. Friends, the only reason that we can have confidence of the promise, confidence of this hope, is because we have a high priest, Jesus, who made atoning sacrifice on our behalf. The only reason we can have conviction of the promise and of the hope is because we have one who made a provision for us to enter the inner sanctuary where we can have a face-to-face -face relationship with God. We don't have conviction because of the promise. We have conviction because of the promise, sir. We have conviction because we know the God who walks the path alone. We have conviction because we have a God who understands our weakness. We have conviction because we have a Jesus, a Savior, who is victorious. So we have the hope of the promise, forgiveness of sins, relationship with God, eternity with him that we can cling to no matter what life throws at us. And if you're exploring faith this morning, I want you to know that you have an anchor ready and waiting. And this isn't a, like, once you come to Jesus, all storms vanish kind of gospel. That's not what Jesus taught. But he promised that in the midst of the storm, he would keep you safe and secure and full of peace. And when those storms come, Jesus is the one who brings us the peace that sustains us. And in those moments of sunshine and clear seas, relationship with God reveals who we were created to be. And Jesus brings purpose to our life. And if you want to talk about the hope that we have, I would encourage you to just reach out. I would love to talk to you about this hope that we have that's an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And there are going to be a couple numbers that are going to flash um, on the bottom of this screen. And I just invite you into a conversation with me or with Pastor Lucas or Pastor Marcus, text or by phone. And we would love to start a conversation with you about this journey of faith. Friends, we have the hope of the promise, the ultimate promise. But maybe like Abraham, you're sitting with secondary promises on the shelf. Those things that you know God spoke to you, those dreams you've been holding on to, that one thing that just stirred your heart, but you've seen no change, no traction towards it in so long. 
Maybe you've been praying and waiting and believing for so long that you can really echo with Abraham in Genesis 15, 8, when he says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? I loved this quote by Matthew Henry. There's always an interval and sometimes a long one between the promise and the performance. This isn't going to be a feel-good promise, but Abraham died without seeing the fulfillment of the promise that God gave him, yet God hasn't forgotten his covenant. We are part of it. Friends, the promises of God are firm, but they aren't always fast. So don't give up. Even when it seems like the promises of God are as far away as ever, lean into relationship with God. Even when it seems like you're rushing into danger and everything's on the line and nothing looks good, courageously pursue what's right. Even when it seems like the next step is so completely counterintuitive to a fulfillment of the promise, choose obedience. Our hope is not a life of blessing and promise. Our hope is Jesus. And left to ourselves, we're people of instant gratification who quickly minimize blessings. We cheapen them to hashtags and materials and the mundane. We've been promised a life that's richer than that. Richer than temporal things. Richer than momentary pleasure. We've been promised a life of relationship with God. We've been promised a life of being invited into the redemptive work that God is performing in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our communities. So don't give up. We have a God who keeps his promises. He's faithful. And it's why we can walk in the conviction of them, even when they seem as far away as ever. God's promises are often delayed gratification, firm, but not always fast, but they're always worth the wait. Just don't forget that our hope isn't the promise. It's the promiser. It's the high priest who's the conviction we need to hold fast to God's faithfulness, even in the storm. He is the hope that we have as an anchor for our soul firm and secure. Let me pray for you. So Father God, I thank you that we have this promise that we can cling to, that you are with us, that when we chose relationship with you, that we were grafted into this promise that you made Abraham, that God, you are going to change the world, that you are going to bless all nations and all communities because of our obedient surrender to you. And that as we walk in an overflow attitude of relationship with you, of spending time with you, of holding all that you've given us with open hands, that God, we will be part of the redemptive work that you're doing in our homes, in our communities. Would you help us not to lose sight of the bigger, the richer, the fuller, for the little things that sometimes we forget and call blessings. You are greater than that. Lift our eyes. 
And for those that are just weary of holding on, who have been praying so long, believing for so long, God, would you buoy their spirit this morning? Would you encourage them to take heart, to continue to pray and intercede and to lean into you because you are faithful? We love you in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Again, a big happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. If you would like to contribute to what we are doing here at Evangel Church, if this is adding value to your faith journey, we would invite you to give generously. And you can do that in multiple ways. We do have drive-through generosity here at the church until 12 today. We are also in the office Monday to Thursday, 9 to 5. And you can give online. Uh, if you go to myevangel.church forward slash give, you can fill out a whole giving uh, form path. That's the right word right there. We also want to invite you to be part of our relaunch team. We are so excited to be able to gather once again. Again, we want to just mitigate expectations. Those are going to look very, very different. Um, and so they're going to be smaller gatherings spread out, maybe absent of some of the things that you're used to, but still full of richness and community. Different isn't always bad. And so we would love you to be part of our relaunch team. And we need you to sign up because we're going to have some training to make sure that we can follow all of the protocols placed before us by our province. And that training is this Monday, tomorrow, June 22nd, as well as Wednesday, June 24th. You can visit myevangel.church forward slash relaunch to be part of that team. And if you don't want to be part of that team, but you want to come to the gatherings, then just make sure you're checking back to our Facebook and our web pages for those details. Thanks for joining us, friends. It's always great, even if it's just digitally, to gather together. God bless.